0: Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. Today we're joined with Avery Carl, who is CEO and founder of the Short Term Rental Shop, a real estate sales team that specializes in helping investors locate, analyze, and acquire profitable short-term rentals in the most stable markets across the country. She is, of course, a short-term rental investor herself. And in today's episode, we break down her short-term rental investing strategy, how she chooses markets, the importance of marketing your short-term rental the right way, Brandon's journeys with his short-term rentals, how Avery helps real estate investors get into properties, and much more. We do want to let you know that we did officially release the short-term rental tax course, which teaches you everything you need to know about the short-term rental loop. To save five to six figures in taxes. In the course, I cover an overview of the short term rental loophole and its powerful tax benefits, how to materially participate in your short term rentals to reduce taxes on your W 2 and other active income, how to maximize your tax savings using cost segregation studies and bonus depreciation, as well as how to avoid critical mistakes that can cost you thousands of dollars in tax savings. By the end of the course, you will know exactly what you need to do to use the short term rental loophole to save five to six figures in taxes. With the amount of value, that is included in this course and the potential tax savings, I could have easily charged upwards of $997 or perhaps even $1,500 for this course. But you know what? Because I want to help as many people use the short-term rental loophole as possible, I'm giving it away for only $247. Which is really next to nothing if you think about the potential tax savings that you can get from using a short-term rental loophole. And with bonus depreciation phasing out over the next few years, the sooner you can take advantage of the short-term rental loophole, the more tax you'll be able to save. So if you're ready to save five to six figures in tax by using the short-term rental loophole, you can enroll in the course today by going to courses.taxsmartinvestors.com and enrolling. It's just that simple. Again, that's courses.taxsmartinvestors.com. Without further ado, we're going to jump right into today's episode after a quick word from Landlord Studio. Having a good rental management software is essential for landlords who want to stay on top of their finances, save time, and reduce stress during tax time. Without one, you're reliant on outdated and ever-prone processes like spreadsheets, paper receipts, and manual reconciliation. Who wants to do that? This can lead to compliance issues, overpaid taxes, expensive vacancy periods, or worse. Esther your income and expense tracking with Landlord Studio today. Import transactions to quickly reconcile expenses, automate rent collection and income tracking, digitize receipts on the go, and instantly generate financial reports, including Schedule E, to make tax filing a breeze. Landlord Studio is much more than just a rental accounting solution, though. Take advantage of their range of property management tools from finding and screening tenants to managing leases and even tracking and managing property maintenance tasks. You can learn more about Landlord Studio and start your 14-day free trial at landlordstudio.com CPA. Use the coupon code realestatecpa at checkout for 25% off your plan. Again, that's landlordstudio.com CPA and use coupon code realestatecpa to get 25% off your plan and a 14-day free trial today. Avery, thanks so much for taking time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners just a brief overview of your background and how you got involved with short term rentals?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, y'all, my name is Avery Carl. I'm a real estate investor and real estate agent. I have 205 doors and I am the author of Short Term Rental, Long Term Wealth, The Bigger Pockets Book on Short Term Rental Investing, and also the host of The Short Term Show, which Brandon has been on. And I'm kind of I got into real estate kind of by accident like everyone else does. I was moving my husband and I were moving from New York City to Nashville and this was in 2013 and our real estate agent at the time was really trying to get us to buy in this super fast appreciating hip area of Nashville. And we were like, oh, man, you know, we're moving from Brooklyn to Tennessee. We want to buy out in the country. We want some space. We're tired of neighbors. So we ended up buying something out in the country. But we thought about, man, that appreciation like sounds really good. Maybe if we bought one of those things and sold it 20 years from now, then we could use that to pay for our future kids' college. And you know, we'll be these geniuses, these personal finance geniuses that nobody's ever thought of this before. And like, we're gonna do this. We didn't even know it's called real estate investing. So we just went and we bought a house right outside East Nashville, an area called Madison. And that house, the mortgage was $647 a month. And we were able to rent it for $1,500 a month. So when we got that first rent check, even though we didn't know what we were doing, we were like, man, this is a significant amount of money, you know, almost $1,000 a month. I was making $37,000 a year in the music business. So that was a lot of money to me. And we thought, okay, well, we need to build a business on this. We need more of these. So then we started actually educating ourselves on what we'd just done. Whereas Most people educate themselves before they do it, but we had like one down payment left, like just like a little chunk left in our savings. And we thought, well, what can we buy that's going to make us the most amount of money, the fastest so that we can scale our portfolio more quickly. And so we landed on short-term rentals. We did not want to do it in Nashville because even back then, this was like 2014 or 15 at the time. The rules with short-term rentals were already getting kind of scary. And we were like, we can't lose this, you know, $20,000. It's our last, you know, these are our last pennies from the bottom of my purse, you know? So uh, we said, well, where can we buy something that it's the normal thing for people to go just rent a house instead of a hotel? And we'd just been on vacation to the Smoky Mountains a few weeks earlier. And we stayed in a cabin. Everybody that goes to the Smoky stays in a cabin. And somebody owns those cabins. So we figured, why can't that be us? So that was you know, why we chose that market. We went, bought one, uh, did really well, scaled that into about five off of their own cash flow over the course of the next year and a half. And five and a half years later, we had 205 doors. So for me, it's, I'm not here to tell anybody that short term rentals are the right and only way to go and all you should buy is short term rentals. I kind of look at them as like a cash flow turbocharger for any portfolio to scale, you know, whatever you want to buy, whether you want to get in multifamily or have a lot of single family long terms, which we have both of those things now. So it's, it's just a really good way to build more capital faster so that you can grow your portfolio in other ways.
3: So at the beginning, it was kind of haphazard. How has your strategy changed over time? What is your strategy today when you're acquiring short-term rentals? How do you know that you've got a good deal?
2: For me, I like to stick to the regional drivable vacation market. So areas like the Smokies where There's not a lot of hotel presence. They've had short-term rentals for decades and decades. So, you know, people coming and renting a house or a condo, cabin, things like that is not a new thing that the cities and counties have had to figure out in the last five, 10 years. So I look for mature vacation markets where that battle was fought a long time ago. That's not something I have to deal with. I'm not here to reinvent the wheel. I'm just here to optimize it. So I'm sticking to those types of markets. I own in the Smokies, Destin, Florida, 30A, Florida, which is Santa Rosa Beach, technically. And uh Cape Sandblast on the Forgotten Coast. So those are all areas that are kind of like that. And I like to find stuff where I can like add a bedroom or or do some rehab to you know add some value to it. But you know, I've also bought plenty of things that are like pretty turnkey and ready to go. So for me, I'm looking for at this stage in my real estate investing career, I'm looking for the least amount of bullshit. Like I don't want to have to do all of this creative stuff. I don't want to have to jump through a lot of hoops. I just want to find a good deal, rent it and move on with my life. So I'm looking for a property that can hit at least 20% cash on cash return. I don't care what it's hitting now because a lot of times the short terms, especially in the markets that I'm looking in, a lot of them are on these property management companies that are really old school that have been around for like 50 years. They're not optimizing technology. They're not optimizing pricing. So I don't care what they've done. I'm looking at data to kind of see what an optimized self-manager is able to do. And then I'm pulling the trigger on that. And often we hit well over 20% cash on cash return, but I'm looking for being able to do a minimum of that.
3: How do you run that upfront analysis? Like, How do you get that data that you're looking at? And, and
2: what are you looking for? Yeah, so there are plenty of places or a number of places that you can get this kind of data nowadays. There, These places, if they did exist back when I started, they were in their infancy but AirDNA is one. Rabu R A B B U is another. AirDNA is paid. Rabu is free, and there is a function within Price Labs, which is a pricing tool that you would need to buy after you buy a house because it helps you your dynamic price to your property. There's a function within there called the market dashboards that shows a 30-day snapshot of all the properties in the market. But what's significant about those types of data sources, instead of just taking rental history at face value, is that those Data sources measure properties. They're like a data scrape of all the properties that have been on Airbnb and Verbo, which I'm a self manager. So these are the platforms that I'm using. So I want to look at data that is market wide that's measuring properties that were marketed the way I plan to market. So if you're looking at data from just a property management company that only uses their independent website to get traffic, you're not really comparing apples to apples. So you want to make sure that wherever you're getting your data, it's market-wide and that it's measuring properties that are on those OTA, their online travel agency, we call them OTAs. They're on those platforms. So you're really kind of able to get a range of what your property should be able to do. And then on top of that, there's a lot of stuff that data can't tell you. So a low-performing property, the data is just going to tell you what it did. It's not going to tell you why it did that. It can't tell you, for example that a property looks terrible in pictures, So that's why nobody's clicking on it to book it. So in conjunction with the data, we at the short-term shop use what we call the enemy method. So it's basically like running comps on your potential rental. So what you're doing is logging on to Airbnb or Virgo, zooming in on the area that you plan to buy, and you're looking at your enemies or your neighbors. But enemy is way more fun to say than the neighbor method. So, so you've got your data, you've got your averages and figured out, okay, I should be able to do between A and B on this property. And say you're buying a four bedroom. You're zooming in on the OTAs, looking at the area you plan to buy, looking at the other four bedrooms and saying like, well, okay, this property in the pictures, they're blurry. The paint's peeling off. It looks terrible. Looks like a haunted house. Looks like Michael Myers is about to jump out. This is not getting booked because it looks terrible. So you're going to be having a higher price per night than that property because your property is probably not going to look terrible. But conversely, if you've got a four bedroom next door to you, that's like the most beautiful that anybody's ever seen offers a private chef, private jet, private chauffeur. Well, you're probably not going to be doing those numbers because you're probably not offering those things. So you're looking at the data to kind of figure out a range. And then you're using the enemy method to kind of hone in on it a little deeper and say, okay, well, this is what my competition looks like. This is the property that I'm buying and it'll fall, you know, between year and here.
3: And on the enemy method, how many comps do you recommend like going through that process for?
2: You can do as many as you want. That's the thing about analysis is you can get as crazy as you want. You can drive yourself crazy. You can obsess as much as you want. You can do 5, 10, 20. I would recommend like around 5. should give you a pretty good idea.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So... We covered a little about the tools. Is there any uh, in some of the best practices that you use within your business? Where do you see? We haven't really asked this question to anybody. Where do you see short term rentals going in the future, you know, overall, as I guess, I guess, as an asset class? Do you think it's they're here to stay and there's a bright future, or do you think people are going to run into more and more complications as time goes on?
2: I think there is a bright future, but it really depends on what market you're buying in. So if you're buying in a big metro market and you're buying in, you know, you've got houses in a bunch of neighborhoods they are eventually going to say like, okay, no more. We're trying to live our lives here and our livelihoods have nothing to do with the tourism industry. So we don't really want this. I mean, like even me, I make the majority of my income on short-term rentals and I live in a vacation destination but when somebody buys a house down the street for me, I'm going to be the first person to say, You're not going to short term rent that, are you? <laughs> like, nobody wants to live next door to one. So, if you're buying in an area where you're the only one, I think you're going to start to run into some problems down the road. So, that's why I kind of try to stick to areas that have had short term rentals for a really long time, because those are the areas where there will continue to be opportunity, and there's you're not looking at a bunch of change coming down the
0: pipe. That's excellent advice. And that's kind of in line with everybody we've talked to about this is kind of to, you know, bottom line is to buy in these established vacation or short term rental markets so you don't have to deal with all the regulation that could come down the pike. And, you know, something interesting I just wanted to throw out there for anybody who is investing in, in the regular markets one of our Tax Smart community members on our Facebook group, Tax Smart Investors, actually said, that they're investing in markets where they could also double as a long- term rental if ever needed. Um Obviously, if you're dealing with you know long you know vacation markets that have been historically um, fruitful for for short- term rentals, it's not that big of an issue. But if you are buying these other markets, you may want to consider the long- term viability of these investments from a long- term rental perspective as well. Just something I got from someone in our Facebook group figured I'd throw that out there for anybody who's listening. I, I think that's smart. And I know that
3: you're looking at the Raleigh area right now. So Tom, we've been trying to convince Tom for four years now to move to Raleigh, North Carolina.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: How long has been a long time? Uh, and there's always excuses, guys. Always excuses. And no, I was just kidding. I was just yeah, kidding. Tom's got a lot good. going on. Anyway, um, <laughs> I have a rental in Raleigh and we're looking at acquiring more rentals, a bunch of single family homes in Raleigh. And I was recently made aware that the short term rental market in Raleigh's pretty solid and I didn't even think about it. So I've got a long term rental that's performing well as a long term rental, but to your point Tom, I might actually try to short term rent it whenever the tenants move out just to see how it goes and I know that worst case I can fall back and just make it a high performing long term rental. So I like that idea especially in mar- metros like Raleigh. Raleigh has a permitting process but they've like they've stated, you know, we support it, we want it. But I gotta imagine that at some point they'll claw that back, right? If there's a flood of short-term rentals in neighborhoods, they'll probably start putting limits on it at some point. I, I just gotta imagine that that's how it works because you're right; nobody wants to live next to the short-term rental,
0: <laughs> for sure. I mean, yeah, Raleigh's not really a big vacation market, as far as I'm aware, at least. So I'm sure that's going to happen. But you know, Avery, shifting gears just a little bit here, we know that you know you're not only just a short-term rental investor yourself; you also Have um, a real estate agency effectively that does help short term rental investors, the short term rental shop, get into properties. Would you be able to take us through a little bit of a walkthrough on what you do at the short term rental shop and kind of how you help investors?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, a little background on that. Probably it was on our second or third short term rental. We realized that there weren't really any agents in the space who could answer many of our questions about, you know, how much do you think this will be able to make? How do I find a cleaner? Things like that. So, I got my license, bridged that gap, and became that agent. Started what would eventually become the short-term shop. Our first office was in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. And we now have 15 offices in the top regional drivable vacation markets in the country. And If you use any of our agents in any of our markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we'll teach you everything you need to know about managing your property remotely so that you don't have to pay that property manager 20 to 30% of your gross income. You're able to hold on to that so that you can go buy more property. So we teach you everything from how to set up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to how to use all the property management software that you'll need to really streamline everything so you're not having to spend a ton of time on this every day all the way down to helping you find your local boots on the ground, like cleaners, handymen, etc. So we do that all while you're still under contract. So by the time closing day rolls around, you already know what you're doing. You're ready to go. You're confident. And you're ready to start making money.
3: And You guys have a really great Facebook group too. And I know that there's a lot of good education flowing through that Facebook group. What is that Facebook group?
2: Yeah. So it's the same name as the title of my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth.
3: Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Highly recommend that you go and check that out. Um, so you work with a lot of people that are buying short-term rentals. You kind of do the education piece to help them understand how to manage it. What would you say is the like top one, two, or three mistakes that new short-term rental owners make?
2: There's a few of them that pop up a lot. I mean, just like anything, analysis paralysis, like when people get... It's really difficult or not difficult. It is most difficult for... Multi-family investors to move from multi-family into short-term rentals just because multi fits so nicely into a spreadsheet and the rent is what it is every month until that person moves out and it just fits in every cell and it's perfect. Uh, with short terms, you know, it's kind of a range because the rent is going to be different July Fourth weekend than it is on a Tuesday in January, and so I think when people try to analyze on a monthly basis, that you're going to get tripped up because it is going to be different every month. You always need to analyze on an annual basis and. Analysis paralysis in general. So there's a lot of education out there right now, like a lot of different gurus and stuff. And you know, when one guru says, like, oh, it has to be this exact cash on cash return, or else it's not a good deal. And if it's like, you say that number is 25%. And if the client's running their numbers and they get 24.85% and they pass up on what could have potentially been, you know, like a 40% cash on cash return deal if managed correctly. But you know, just being a little too rigid and not adaptable when it comes to the analysis and the ability to make something perform better. And uh, I think another one would just be wanting it to be too much for your own family instead of just like what is expected of the market. So like you know, if you're buying a beach house in Destin, Florida, it does not need to have a yard to accommodate your 17 rescue dogs because you—that's just you. That's not the people that are going to be renting it the whole time. So um, I would say getting too emotionally involved and trying to make it perfect for your family rather than just, you know, that good enough and what tourists have come to expect and analysis paralysis and not being adaptable are the biggest ones.
3: That's really great. And I love the emotional piece too. So I, I, you know, running this business, you learn to stop being emotional and start being very logical. But last September, I bought a beach home to run as a short term rental, and then we were going to use it in off season. You know, the whole idea is the on season rents pay for the entire home, and then you've got a beach house that you can use whenever you want. And I I knew that it was going to be a rental and I knew not to get emotional. And I still got emotional (laughs) (laughs) when we had that first tenant that came and just wiped everything out. I was still uh, so frustrating.
2: Well, that's actually another one that you bring up is another newbie mistake is being afraid of seasonal markets. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people will say, Oh, I would love to buy in a beach market, but they're seasonal. So that's not going to work. But it doesn't matter what the occupancy rate is as long as that income number makes sense. So that right. was a point too that you brought up that I forgot.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, and to your point, I mean, I think we cleared... We covered our, our financing costs and our operating costs with like, 15 14 months of rent something around there so everything else is just is just profit but yeah we did have a tenant come through that just kind of like we we had done a lot of upgrades and stuff and we had we just shipped this beautiful new sectional not like beautiful i mean we got it at one of those warehouses but beautiful to us sectional and uh you know the tenants still whine all over it so <laughs> It was just like, come on, man. Not even the very first tenant to like arrive while they were there. It's just kind of like, oh my gosh. But anyway, yeah, we uh, we got a little emotional about it. But we learned, we learned to to take a step back, take a deep breath, and just you know, it's a rental at the end of the day. The the purpose is to run a business, make money, and that's it. So I'm glad you said that. In terms of like value add, so you mentioned multifamily investors switching to short term multifamily investors like they talk about value add all the time and it's also kind of funny like quick sidebar i saw a tweet a, a twitter thread where this guy was um he highlighted a a large multifamily property in arizona that had been traded bought and sold like five times since 2015 and each one of those times he like had the investor prospectus and each one of them was saying value add so value add does not mean like I sit there with the market and I let the market run up. That's not value add. <laughs> value add is actually going in and fixing things and improving the units so that you can you can increase rents and place better tenants. How do you do value add with short-term rentals? Like what are some of the the key things that you look at or you look at and you go, oh my gosh, I know that I can make this improvement or paint it this color. And I know that I'm gonna increase my occupancy or my daily rent. By X percent. What what are you looking for there?
2: So with short terms, it can be a little easier for value add because all you really need to do to make it make and I'm talking about making more money versus, you know, actual appraisal. I'll get to that in a second. But uh all you need to do a lot of times to increase your income on it is like stuff that aesthetic things that look better in pictures. So, you know, nice granite countertops, or they don't even have to be that nice. They just have to look, you know, not like for mica, So, you know, you want to have granite. I recommend granite instead of quartz because it's a little more durable. It's not as pretty a lot of times, but that's kind of where I draw the line. I'd rather it be mostly pretty and then not be able to really mess it up too much. You want to have a nice backsplash, which, you know, both of those things are pretty affordable. Paint always helps. A lot of people like to do like an Instagram wall, like a mural related to whatever market you're in. And, uh, so a lot of the stuff to increase income is just really, how can I make this look better in pictures and more updated? And a lot of that is not super expensive in terms of being able to add appraisal value. So what I look for is a, if, if it's on the MLS and it has terrible pictures, that's something that I'm going to look at a little bit harder. Like for example, I got the place that I got in port in port St. Joe, Florida, out on Cape Sandblast, the pictures were terrible. There were like three pictures. It was super dark. But the, the date it was built was in 2019, and I bought it in 2021. So I was like, there's no way this house can be bad at all if it was built in 2019, and these pictures are terrible. It was listed as a three-bedroom. So we go and look at it, and it is a three-bedroom, but there is a downstairs utility room that's really big that's partially finished. It just needed flooring. It was already you know heated and cooled. All we had to do was put flooring in and change up a couple things in the bathroom. It was just a half-bath downstairs. We made it a full and now we have a four bedroom and um, we didn't have to even really pull too many permits or anything because it was already technically finished, but it didn't say anything about that in the listing. So as far as on MLS properties, I'm looking for anything where the listing agent clearly did not represent the property well at all, because those are where you can find some, some things to do. But anything that you can add a bedroom to is going to be a good option. In vacation markets, you don't run into as many distressed properties as you do in metro markets because. Typically in the markets that I'm in, basically all the the real estate it is either a short-term rental or a vacation home. So people aren't typically letting those get foreclosed on. Beach markets, if you can add a pool that is a really easy way to go. Pools in terms of appraisals don't add a lot of value in some areas of the country, but at least in the areas that we're in in Florida, it not only adds a lot of value to the property, but it also will boost your income. So adding pools, being able to add a room And um, really, you know, just any general updates, because a lot of these things in these markets have been short-term rentals for 10, 20, 30 years in some cases, and they just need a slight refresh uh, just to bump it up a little bit. And it's really, I think people get a little scared of of getting their hands dirty with rehabs and stuff because they hear horror stories about contractors not showing up or contractors running over budget or contractors taking too much time, which all of those things are going to happen. But if you understand upfront that None of this is going to get finished on time, and it's going to go over budget. Then you got nothing to be disappointed about.
3: And if you have the seasonality factor, then you can just do it all in the off season. So
0: yeah.
3: it's no, cooler it on over budget in the off season. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's what we did with our with our beach home. So we when we bought the home, the granite countertops were like brown, just like a very two thousand style. Mm-hmm. They had white like old appliances. So we we put white quartz. Uh, we didn't do granite. I guess we, we gotta go tear it out and do granite now. But we did we did white quartz countertops, we did stainless steel, and then we did white subway tile. And we were going for that like fresh, sort of clean, showy look on the pictures. That's exactly what we were going for. And it seems to have worked, but we opted to do that instead of like refreshing the master bedroom downstairs. But I think that's probably next on our list because that is something else that I was thinking about too was who is actually leaving reviews on your short term rental, it's probably the person staying in the master bedroom. So I'm going to like try to refresh that before anything else. (laughs) I bought these like really nice pillows for the master bedroom, like master bedroom at my house is is solid.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. kitchens and bathrooms definitely do add the most value. And like you said, I put a light color granite and white subway tile every time I do something just because subway tile is really affordable in terms of tile. And it looks really good and um, looks
0: like nice and light and bright. Yeah. Hey, I like this business because you could do it for the gram, right? It's yeah. all, <laughs> all about the gram. So uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that's awesome. You know, it's funny though. I, I find it amazing. This is kind of like just a sidebar real quick, but like how many real estate agents don't understand the power of marketing, right? Like they put up these pictures on their listings where there'd be short-term rentals that they're trying to sell or long-term rentals and they're just horrible pictures. And like, you know how much more money I'd probably offer on a property. Have you just staged it? Had you just put pictures in it and made it look like sell the dream, sell me on the dream. Okay. So how
3: how much of that do you think is due to the, just like how strong the real estate market's been though over the past few years? Like like I've I've started seeing open houses around Raleigh now, and that's the first time I've seen open houses in a long time. So I'm, I'm thinking like, and maybe Avery, maybe you've got some insight on this, but the tactics that used to be run, maybe we'll start seeing a lot of those come back. So maybe you, maybe you will see agents saying, "Yeah, we're not throwing this upon the MLS until you refresh it a little bit." You know.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that particular one that that I got, I will say, I was able to get at the height of the 2021 real estate craze, where everything was getting 10, 20 offers. I got that under contract for 75, 000 underest. <laughs> Oh wow. Because, yeah, because Good for you. Yeah, they just they weren't getting they were like, "Oh crap. Well, we didn't get 10 offers yet and it's been 3 days, so guess we better take this." <laughs> so you never know. But yeah, the real estate market definitely is changing. I think in terms of being a buyer, now is the best time in the past 2 years to be able to get something. Like, yes, interest rates kind of suck right now, but they're not terrible in the grand scheme of interest rates. But now uncertainty in the market has shaken out a lot of the weak buyer hands. So you've got less competition. You've got what I call FOMO sellers who saw their neighbors sell for astronomical prices like six months ago. They see the market changing and they're like, oh crap, I missed the boat. I guess I better try now. And so they're creating more supply so, you can actually do crazy stuff like offer under asking and negotiate. Whereas last year, you just had to take what you could get and hope your offer was good enough. But now you can actually go back to like actually being a real estate investor and negotiating things.
3: So, since we're talking about acquiring or and or selling, how do you price short term rentals? And I asked that because when we were shopping for our beach home, you know, we wanted to price on the buy side based on market and the sellers seemingly wanted the price based on their rents. At least the stronger the stronger properties wanted the price based on rents. How do you see it? What, what should you do on the buy side and the sell side?
2: So short-term rentals are a really interesting asset class to where they're kind of looked at by investors as commercial properties. But in terms of appraisers and lenders, they are very much residential. So the appraiser, appraisal is based still off of sold residential comps in the area. So if you have a beach house that's making $200,000 a year, it's worth the exact same as the beach house next door of the same floor plan that was not a rental and made $0. So the way it was last year, we would look at appraisal values and we would give our seller clients two numbers. We'd say, here's what it's probably going to appraise for. Here's what we can probably get someone to agree to pay for it. So just know if we're able to get this number that we think somebody will pay for it, just don't hold your breath. Like, let's wait to the appraisal. Getting that number is only half the battle. We have to wait to the appraisal. And last year, everybody was offering appraisal gaps anyway and everything was getting multiple offers. So we would give them two numbers because we knew the market would bear more than the appraisal value. Now that things are slowing down, we say, here's the appraisal value, market's kind of shifted. This is what we can probably expect. And let's see what happens. And um, things are sitting a little bit longer, but we're still getting pretty close uh, to asking price on most things. In terms of a buyer, a lot of sellers will say, you know, but we made this much. So let's price it, you know, 10X of what we made. And I just, it's really hard to make the numbers work at that point. But uh, what's going to end up happening when a seller prices like that in most cases, unless they've got like a really, really unique property or, you know, there's an, an exception to every rule. But I really think now a lot of that stuff is going to sit and end up just getting appraisal value anyway.
3: Interesting. So you're going to see a lot of buyers not coming out of pocket to cover that gap.
2: Yeah. Cause there's, you know, there's more inventory on the market now. So buyers can say, well, you know, I'll go buy this other one. Whereas last year, everything was getting snapped up. So they were more apt to have to take, they wanted to get in the short term rental game at all, having to just, you know, eat a little bit more cash. So it's definitely more of a buyer's market.
3: So that's kind of interesting to think about because, you know, I'm thinking about it in terms of cash on cash return. It's almost like you could have a great performing short-term rental, but on a cash on cash return basis, but the value, the overall value is not going to be driven up based on your net rents, unlike maybe larger multifamilies would be. Right. So that's a good thing for buyers because Mm -hmm. there's always a lot of potentially more deals in the short-term space than there are otherwise. Is that like a an accurate or, or somewhat accurate statement?
2: Yeah, yeah. And it can indirectly, if you have a property that's performed really, really, really well, it can indirectly affect value because if it's attractive to more investors, then you're going to get more offers on it and drive that price up. But in terms of appraisals, it really doesn't, doesn't matter. Hmm. Now, you know, things may change in the future. Lending may change on... The longer short-term rental investing is around and the more it establishes itself, things might change. But right now, it's just you know, like buying a residential house.
0: Take a quick break to hear a word from relay. If you invest in real estate and manage properties, then you need banking that's truly built for your business. With all the bank accounts you have to manage for your properties, account minimums, overdraft fees, and issues connecting to accounting software like QBO or Landlord Studio things can get extremely complex. This is why I recommend relay relay is an online banking and money management platform that is perfect for real estate businesses. First, there are no accounting fees, no overdraft fees, no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more money in your pocket and relay goes beyond just the basics of banking to help you understand precisely what you're earning, spending, and saving. You can get up to 20 checking accounts to organize and allocate income for things like day-to-day expenses, investments, or taxes. And if you have multiple properties set up with multiple Business entities. Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access everything from one single login. Best of all, Relay makes bookkeeping speedy by giving you extra detailed transaction data and directly syncing back to accounting softwares like QuickBooks Online and Zero. It only takes ten minutes to apply for a free Relay account, and you can do that online by going to www.relayfi.com/the-real-estate-cpa. Again, that's www.relayfi.com/the-real-estate-cpa. Ahead and check that out. Out, but right now, we're going to get right back into today's episode.
3: So uh, a couple more questions from me. You said that you have a, a pretty extensive portfolio at this point. Do you self-manage the entire thing?
2: We only self-manage our short terms. We do outsource the management of our long term to so local property management companies.
3: And, and how many short terms do you have? Eight. Eight. Okay, cool. Here's a good question for you. How, how far away are they from where you live?
2: So I live in Destin, Florida, but... I will say... I love we,
3: Destin's Beach, by the way. We did, a, <laughs> yes. we did a team trip to Destin, I think, back in 2017.
0: Were you on that trip, Tom? Yeah, so, yeah. We were on the yeah, beach in sweaters. So I remember that.
3: Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got Christmas sweaters and everything. We, we went in December. Uh, uh, man, that was the nicest sand that I've seen on, on nice. U.S. beaches.
1: So. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah anyways, I, I agree mean, with that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So when we started buying, we lived in Nashville. We moved to Destin two years ago. So most of this was bought while we lived in Nashville. But we bought a few while we lived in Destin. So, we have five in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, one in Destin, one in Santa Rosa Beach, which is actually my office. It's a mixed-use building, so that's only a mile from my house. And then we have one in Cape San Blas, Florida, which is about 100 miles away.
3: So talk to us how you self-manage. How do you self-manage the ones in the Smokies?
2: Yeah, so it's, It's really just about having your systems down and having... You need two core people, your cleaner and your handy person. And you can build out any more specialized vendors from there, like HVAC people, things like that. You really just need those two to start. And then you need a good property management software. There's a lot of them out there. We... I think we're on... We've switched around, but we've been guesting for hosts. We always seem to keep coming back to... And, uh, but there's a lot of great ones, and they automate basically everything, like your, your cleaners' calendars. So if somebody books, it automatically syncs with your cleaners' Google calendar. So as soon as they book, they know they have to clean that day. Um, it automates a lot of the communication with the guests and the check-in instructions, check-out instructions, things like that, digital guidebooks, all that stuff. So they know, like, this is how you work the Keurig. This is how you work the thermostat, you know, insert thing here. And then that's really all you need. You want to have a, a few smart pieces of hardware like a, a Wi-Fi lock, Wi-Fi thermostat, and ring camera only on the front. It's not allowed to be inside, guys, so don't be creepy. It's also not allowed to point at the pool. i had a... Somebody asked in one of our Facebook groups <laughs> a few... I think it was last week. He had cameras at the pool, and he really wanted to make sure that people were showering before they got in the pool so they wouldn't get gross with like tanning lotion and stuff. And he was like, should I message this guest and tell them that I've noticed that they're not showering before they get in the pool? I really need to. And everybody was like, no, do not tell them that you're watching to make sure they shower creep. So, um, you know, disclaimer, make sure they're only on the front of the house and you do have to disclose them. So you just need a few pieces of smart technology, cleaner, handyman, and you're good to go.
3: Also on the camera thing. And I think I've seen Luke mention this in in your Facebook group but on the camera thing it's also just like okay so so I set up cameras on our house to like look at the carport and everything cuz I want to see hey you say 11 guests hopefully there's not more than 11 guests no dogs that type of thing but to be totally honest like I just stopped looking at it <laughs> because because I was looking at it all the time and I would like always get like all spun up and everything and then I was just like you know what this isn't healthy Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm just gonna stop looking at it and the cameras are there for liability reasons now and that's it and I think that as when you're a first-time short-term rental owner you want to protect your investment right and I'm just saying this because I'm sure that that person that you were just referencing had good intentions but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's just like your pool's gonna get messed up who cares it's part Mm -hmm. of doing business move on you just you put your cameras up where you need them for liability reasons and that's it Try not to look at them on an ongoing basis because it's just going to drive you nuts.
2: <laughs> yes, specifically only to refer back to if there's an incident. It's because you can get totally addicted to watching and you'll notice, oh, there's one extra person. And then a host wants to like message the guest and say, I see you brought one extra person. You owe me 25 bucks or whatever. And then you end up getting a bad review because they feel watched, they feel micromanaged. You know, that one extra person is probably not going to single handedly burn the whole house down. So just, you just got to chill. Don't watch the cameras all day. And people will argue like Luke is hammers that into people's head. Like he is banging people's heads into like car hoods to like, stop watching your cameras because they'll argue and they'll say, well, no, I need to protect my investment. And then they'll do something like message a guest when they haven't really done anything. And a a big one is guys peeing off the front porch. I'm like, yeah, that's gross. Like, yeah, nobody, I don't really want anybody peeing off my front porch. But I'm also probably not going to holler at you through the ring camera and be like, stop ping Just, right. you know, just got it. They're on vacation. They're going to be drinking. They might be smoking. They're not going to be the most put together versions of themselves. And you just have to let them do that. Let them have the fun. As long as they're not damaging the property, it's going to be fine.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really appreciate that Luke is is telling people to stop watching the cameras because I find it it's kind of like one of those things where... Oh man, I'm doom scrolling on TikTok all day long, and TikTok's trash, but then you're also just pulling up your ring cameras, watching your property all day long, too. <laughs> just you're doing the same thing, it's just a different outlet. So yeah.
0: Maybe the cameras are just more or less. So when something does happen, you have a record of exactly of happening. Yeah. You know? yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Protect from liability, the the incident thing that Avery was talking about. That's what I've learned to do with mine. My wife actually asked me recently. She's like, do you even look at the ring cameras anymore? I was like, no, I don't. I don't look at the ring cameras
2: best to just not.
3: Yeah, I stopped all the notifications coming to my phone. And it's just, it's there. It's capturing stuff. And if somebody complains or if something happens, then I'll pull it up and look. So
2: <laughs> yeah, nine times out of 10, they're going to check in. They're going to do their thing. They're going to check out. It's going to be totally fine and nothing's going to happen.
3: I did have to get used to people just being quiet. Like I have this like, um, like, even at my firm and, I, and we don't nail it all the time. And if you're an ex client, I'm sure you're probably nodding along. You know, we screw up client experience, but we always I'm very, very big on trying to figure out how do we screw up and how do we not screw up against? So we're always improving that every single every single time. But I carry that same thing into my short-term rental space too. So I'm sitting there, like part of the ring camera's like, do they get in okay? Is everything good? Are they happy? Like, can I see if they're smiling? Like <laughs> it's like like stuff like that. Right. And and so when I stopped looking at the ring cameras, I wasn't getting that sort of like feedback. And instead, I would like I'd set up my messages to hit them like the next day. Hey, how's everything going? And like midstay. But finally I just got used to just you just do next morning. Is everything okay? Because that that that's good for the liability piece too. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, everything's great. Okay, well, don't go leave me a crap review later because you said everything was great. Um, so I just do that and then I let it go. And I've got a guy right now that's staying at my home for three weeks. I haven't heard a peep from him uh, except for yesterday. Yesterday was the first time. This is week number three, and he was like, "Hey, HVAC, we need somebody out here to help." So I sent somebody out there, but it's a little it's a little disconcerting because you're sitting there like, are they having a good time? Is everything good? You don't really get the feedback, but you know, it's also, you, you learn to live with it, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, you learn to be that, that's a good guest.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, very quiet, very chill. So excited about it.
0: So, final question here for today Where can everybody find out about you, Avery? If they want to work with you or a short term rental shop, where, where can they go to learn more?
2: Yeah, so uh, our website, theshorttermshop.com, we've got all 15 of our markets on there. You can set up a search. Uh, you can set up one search that will cover multiple markets in multiple states, which is kind of cool. There's a button on there. If you want to work with one of our agents, you just click it and you will get connected to an agent. Also, uh, join our Facebook group, Short Term Rental, Long Term Wealth, or you can hit me. Instagram is probably the social media that I pay most attention to, and it's just at theshorttermshop.
0: All right, everybody, we're going to drop that in the show notes for everybody who wants to check that out. Avery, thanks again so much for coming on the show today.
2: Thanks so much for having me. Hey, before we go, I wanted to
0: remind you about the short-term rental course, which breaks down everything you need to know about the short-term rental loophole to save five to six figures in taxes. After helping dozens of private clients and hundreds of boot camp students, we wanted to help as many investors as possible use this strategy. And with bonus depreciation starting to phase out, the sooner you can take advantage of this short-term rental loophole, the bigger your potential tax savings. So if you don't want to miss out on this amazing opportunity, you can enroll in by going to www courses.taxsmartinvestors.com. Again, that's courses.taxsmartinvestors.com. That's all for today, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Tax Smart REI.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients, and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.